Happy Sunday. Welcome to another episode of the Hyper Scheme. Today, we're talking about Tesla's version 9 FSD software, um, the full self-driving beta test that, you know, 2,000 people are on, the update that went out last weekend, stayed up till midnight to make that video, and have just been driving around Tesla's, uh, testing Tesla's new software all around Seattle, playing with it all week. Have so many thoughts that I just want to make a whole episode sort of dedicated, and I'll get to Patreon Q&A as well at the end, but just dedicated to, you know, what do I think about this after playing with it, after being a Tesla owner, um, and just to give a little bit of context context on what's going on here just to overview the situation. Tesla's full self-driving beta software um, is essentially, you know, the company's vision is to make cars autonomous that can drive themselves, not just by knowing the road and knowing what's happening, but literally you could put them on any road where they've never been before and they could drive. This is one of the most ambitious artificial intelligence projects in the world to commercialize real world AI applications. Tesla's built a state of the art, uh, you know, first of all, chip team to design this chip that uses an extremely low amount of power to be able to power this entire, you know, crazy AI supercomputer uh, system, which is running and making decisions in the car and so luckily um, they've rolled out this full self-driving beta software where basically you can go you know up until this point autopilot um, it only works on the highway like Tesla's amazing on the highway I've driven from Seattle to Los Angeles from and back and Seattle I think I did that twice um, in my Tesla, I've done so many road trips. I hated road trips, but now I love road trips because I'm on autopilot. It's on the highway. I literally use it like 95% of the miles for those trips, and it works flawlessly. But now Tesla's expanding that functionality to city streets, and that's what this FSD beta program is. Not just working, the car can drive itself on the highway, but literally anywhere. This is a much more ambitious um, stage of the project, and I've actually been realizing how quirky and different little streets are, especially when it comes to a city in Seattle or a city like Seattle, um, and just thinking about how Tesla's going to be able to solve this challenge. But that is what we're dealing with here. Like, this most ambitious AI product in the world getting pushed down to city streets and these 2,000 beta testers, which I'm so lucky and thankful to be a part of, um, are testing it. And so that is what's the status quo now. And up until this point, Tesla's system has relied on a combination of radar and cameras to tell the car what to do in these situations. Human, we drive with R2 cameras, which are distracted most of the time. The Tesla has eight cameras around it, essentially eight robot eyes that are seeing you know, perfectly with unobstructed views outside of the car and informing the car where it is in, in its surroundings. And Additionally, it used to have radar as well. And then the radar signals were conflicting. Um, Elon and the team have decided that radar was sort of a crutch and that they wanted to move to what's called pure vision. So this was the first update that was months in the making where Tesla dropped the radar and moved to pure vision. So as much as this is called FSD version 9, I think it's just as much FSD version uh, or Tesla vision version 1 is really what how, how I would think about this. And so that's the context. So last night or last week, I get the update at midnight. I mean, this is... Just like I can't even describe the, the the excitement was so palpable. Like who I don't stay up for like what what tech product software update am I staying up till midnight for? Right, this is ridiculous. Like I, I don't even know. But so that it, like I can't like I literally felt like I was seven years old on Christmas Eve and I couldn't sleep for like three days leading up to this. I hit up Devin who helps me make these videos. He's amazing. Shout out to Devin. Um, and he's like, bro, I'm so stoked. I'm gonna come over. I'm about to go to work. He has like a job. He's like, I'm about to go to work. I'm about to take a nap. Then I'm about to come over. And we're going to be scheming on how to shoot this video. And then at midnight, we're going to go in your car and we're going to like, I was like, like, I don't know. I, we just had so much fun. And just the fact that Elon and the team create this excitement and like, we like literally, I was like, Elon is sending us the future tonight. That's what it felt like. Like Elon literally is just pulling us into the future. One software update at a time, or I guess pushing it. But, um, and literally Elon was early. Not, not everyone says Elon misses deadlines. And I love, I saw his quote on Twitter. He misses loose deadlines, but nails exact deadlines. And so he was like, it's going to drop at midnight on Friday. First of all, it's like, damn, like at midnight on a Friday, like 
damn, like, I guess I'm not partying tonight. Right. Like <laughs> I'm joking, but, um, kind of not though. I, you know, I had to be, we had to be working and I was like, damn. Okay. So we wait for the software update to come out. Feels like Christmas. Like I just, I I'm trying to convey this because this to me is the je ne sais quoi of Tesla. This is what people don't understand. Like you're going to read so many headlines in the media about, you know, FSD messing up, Tesla doing this wrong. Like, but when you're a customer and you're on the other side, like, you know, nothing else matters. It's just Tesla's relationship with their customers. That is the product. That is the company. And there's just such a magical feeling about FSD and the software updates and being a part of the beta testers that like makes me just so excited. And I think you should all be excited too if you have a Tesla with FSD, even if you're not in the beta, because it's coming soon and they're trying to get this as close as possible. So you're going to have this feeling too. And um, I just it, I just feel the honor to be a part of this history, and I think one of the secret sauce of how Tesla, which I think is light years ahead of anybody else in the full self-driving race, not even a question, um, and I actually feel very informed. I mean, I haven't driven other cutting-edge AI solutions, but I, I'm on the FSD beta program. I'm watching it get better. I'm seeing just how incredible this technology is. I mean, this is um, – it's what it boils down to is essentially the edge case problem. Can we solve all these weird edge cases that the cars run into? Because that's the, the difference. You know, it's the march of nines. Yeah, it's great to have it 99% perfect, but we need it 99.9999999999% perfect. And they need to drive billions of miles through all these edge cases. So Tesla's autopilot software is already running with billions of miles of data, collecting all this data. Now the FSD beta tester is sort of another level of data collection where they roll this out. And these 2000 beta testers are just driving it, putting it through all these crazy uh, edge cases with this sort of constant flow of data from Tesla back and forth, you know, there's even a button on the screen where you can report, you know, auto or FSD was doing something weird here. Let's report it and send it. And so this crazy iterative feedback, it's like Tesla literally has like 2000 people that are like, we, I love, and it's just like, so I don't know. I think no other company could pull this off because we love Tesla. We want to help Tesla. We love this mission. And, and it just, and it feels honored to be a part of it. And I think this is from a business perspective, this is the secret sauce of why Tesla will tackle the edge cases. You need 2000 people willing to give you the benefit of the doubt, willing to help the system, willing to coach it, willing to train it. And that's what the FSD beta group is. And I think it's so beautiful to watch this happen. And so anyway, I'm getting totally sidetracked, but Tesla rolls out this FSD beta and man, this is okay. I'm just going to say the, the bad part first pros and cons. Cause it's what like, I, I, ah, man, I'm just like, and, and so many people I got my video that I posted or that we posted, like business insiders writing about it. Consumer reports is emailing me like, we want to show, you know, how, how dangerous Tesla FSD is. Do you mind if we use your video? And I'm like, no, don't use it. Like, fuck no. Like, you know what I mean? Like you suck. Like, you know, like Tesla's trying to solve the biggest public health crisis that we have in the U S if you're my age, number one way you're going to die is on the roads, extremely unsafe building an AI to make. And if you just I think it's going to be insane that we let people drive. Like, we're going to look back on it and just be like, what the fuck were we thinking? Letting distracted humans drive. And there was just chaos everywhere causing massive distress to the healthcare system, to grieve to grieving families. Like, it's just, I, I think one of the biggest things that I believe that nobody else believes is that it's just ridiculous the way the, tr the transportation system works. And it's so dangerous. And I think Tesla should be getting so many props for being the only company in the world trying to really push forward and be so bold and ambitious to push forward this technology to solve this challenge. That's disingenuous journalism. You're not a journalist. You are selling clicks. You're an advertising salesman. That is what I think Business Insider is. All those things. Consumer Reports, they're whack. They suck. Okay, maybe not Consumer Reports, but like all like Josh Wolf on Twitter. I hate that guy. He's literally been shitting on Tesla since day one, like calling me. Like, I don't follow this dude. I don't know who this dude is. I don't care about this guy. He's like some big time VC, right? Like, why is he all up in my Twitter for years telling me how much of a joke I am, telling me how lame I am? 
like it's not even worth it for me to find the tweets, but like literally was bullied online by this multimillionaire VC and Tesla stock has gone up 20 X since that happens. And then I still see him on Twitter pulling a clip out of my video. First of all, they don't link to my YouTube video. They rip it, put it on Twitter. So I don't get any of the views or advertising money from it and then make a whole Twitter thread about it and be like, look at Galley. Even he says it's not dope. So first of all, I want to give a big like F you to those people because you are on the wrong side of history and you're just trying to like, you know, milk some fame off of this moment and make Tesla look bad because you're salty that, you know, your life sucks. I don't know. I'm getting negative vibes, PVO, positive vibes only. Okay. But you know what I mean? I'm just really frustrated with the media not the media is not the media. Like the media isn't telling you the truth. They're not great journalists. That era is over. They're desperate advertising salesmen whose business models are failing because they don't say the truth and because nobody actually gives a shit about what they say. And that's why they're getting more and more desperate to try and call out companies like Tesla who actually are doing amazing things in the world. And, and they know that, you know, this is going to like pinpoint this human emotion of, um, like, you know, oh, like if we Tesla's failing and Tesla's messing up and doing something crazy and dangerous, that'll get us clicks. So let's do it. So that is the incentive system that is is causing massive misreporting in the space. I think the biggest risk um, to to so many companies commercializing bold, ambitious new technology is, is the failure of the journalistic complex to accurately tell us what's going on. I think we should be covering this, this project that Tesla's doing in an amazing way to improve the simulation from a public health perspective, from an efficiency perspective, from a traffic solving perspective. Like, these are all such huge problems that affect all of our lives every single day that Tesla's taking on the risk to try and solve. So give them some credit about that. And like, I just think none of the journalists are doing it. So with that all said, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it real with y'all. Like I thought FSD version nine was going to be a little bit better than what it was, mostly because Elon said it was going to be a huge improvement and it wasn't a huge improvement. It was an improvement. And, but I think that's very important because on the back end of the technology, we moved to version one of Tesla vision, not just you know, the new version. So when you take into account that we drop radar, move to this new vision system, push out this update, it's performing better. I mean, this is absolutely a huge win for Tesla. This is the progress that we want to see on FSD. This is them moving in the right direction. This is them showing us that they are leading the charge to commercialize an autonomous vehicle and unlock that multi-trillion dollar robo-taxi thesis. And so that is all intact. That is all happening. Um, that's the real story. And so, um, even though it's not perfect. So I would say now I'm disengaging like, like before in the version 8.2 or three, I disengaged like, I want to say twice to three times every 30 minutes of like ex what I would call like extreme urban driving. Like Seattle is insane. Like the streets here are out of control. Like, okay. So the monorail, um, okay. The, so now I would say the new version of FSD version nine is about one to two interventions every 30 minutes. So I'd say like, and I'm calling these real interventions because maybe if you watch my videos, you'll be like, golly, there's more interventions than that. First of all, I speed it way up so you're not seeing the good parts. I'm going to do a new video where I just literally show you the whole drive unedited so you can see all the amazing stuff it does because sometimes I fast forward through that too much and I feel like people don't appreciate it. But um, So there's definitely been a decrease in interventions and I would say much bigger than that because that's just me really loosely anecdotally thinking about that um, is that I personally am using FSD 9 more. So for FSD version 8.2, like I didn't use it. Like I use it to make videos. And like to try it as like a science nerd right but i didn't use it because it was dope and it was made like it's like it was slow like i was like damn like i'm trying to get somewhere like i'm not trying to like you know babysit this shit like <laughs> 
but right. So, um, but now with version nine, like I actually was using it the other day. Like I was driving to go do the plaid model S thing, which I'm about to do. I can't even, I'm like, man, I just recorded my plaid model S review, but it's Saturday, but I record, record this and I'm going to post this on Sunday. Cause we got to be scheming every Sunday, right? Hyper scheme. And then I'm going to do the plaid video tomorrow. It's killing me. I have so much, like, I want to just get the plaid video out. Cause it was so fun. Um, and I have so many crazy thoughts about that. Um, but anyway, so I drove on FSD to, to the plaid and I was actually using it. And so, and I wasn't making a video and I've done that a couple times and it's, and I found myself using it where I'm like, okay, the lane markings are great. This is a big arterial. Like it's, you can just, once you spend time with the software, you can feel where it's going to crush it. And you're like, I feel good about deploying it here. Um, and then I'll just take over. I'll be like, all right, this is some weird wonky stuff. Like I know it's going to go slow. It'll probably be fine, but I'm just going to take over and do it. And so even if it's not fully autonomous, it's providing a huge value to me as a driver. And th this is a huge misconception that like, like Business Insider, they'll use my video, but they're not gonna call me to ask me what I think. Like how disingenuous is this? Like all these media outlets are gonna be like, look at, Gall you know, he's beefing with it, but it's like, bro, like I love FSD and I say it makes my car experience better. And I think once you have this, you can't go back. Like look at, this is the biggest misunderstanding of Tesla's that not only is their incremental margin realization in terms of profit as we scale into full self-driving, they'll keep raising the price. They just rolled out the FSD subscription. This is all gonna lead to incremental margin improvements along the way before we get to FSD. There's also incremental customer like satisfaction improvements along the way as those updates happen. And so there's a huge flaw in the understanding that FSD is worth zero value if it can't totally drive itself. That's total bull Bullshit. Even the, where it is now is already providing me a lot of value um, when I know how to use it. It's like having a chauffeur who's not perfect, but I know when he's going to crush it so I can just tap in my chauffeur when I want. That's dope. And so, you know, I'm like, I don't whip. I get chauffeured. Like, I love that. Like, that's the new. Anyway, so love and, and man, I just think it's mind boggling to see like, and it's, it's crazy because it, it's made me realize like I suck at driving, right? Like half the routes the FSD takes like up this hill and did like a double black diamond uh, left turn. And like, I would have never gone that way in Capitol Hill to get to my homie's house because it's just like too like complicated, stressful street, but FSD did it and nailed it. And so um, it's been interesting to see how the GPS, especially in a city like Seattle, puts the car in situations that are really hard that even a human wouldn't be able to do. Like the infamous monorail test, which I love. Like I, I'm, I'm hyped that this is becoming like a, a viral thing because I thought about the monorail test more and more. So what happens on the monorail test is you take a right, right? And then like five blocks later, I need to take a left. But the problem is there's this big monorail thing in the middle, right? And so it's actually, I've been thinking this more and more. As a human, I would have never been able to make this turn and it's, maybe I could have, but not legally because you either have a double marked line that you can't pass or you have an intersection. It's illegal to swoop and change, uh, swoop and change lanes in an intersection. So you either have to cross a double white line, which the Tesla was trying to do, or change lanes in an intersection. Both of those are illegal. The only way you would have actually been able to do that route that the GPS wanted you to is ironically what Julian with Jay Filch, he was in the car, car with me. He was telling me like, so if it was smart, it would go all the way around. I thought he was being so annoying. He's like, bro, if you're going to make this turn, it's got to go all the way into left lane when you make that first right going around that pillar, not in front of the pillar. Because when you go around the pillar, then the next left's easier. But that to me is almost illegal. Or like you're, it's just really counterintuitive that you would even make that because it just seems like you just would take this right. So my point being there is the GPS almost set it up for failure. And so... Um, I don't know. I, my, I will say there's been like a recalibration in my theories about 
when this technology, when self-driving cars are coming. Like I thought, I would say I thought there was a 30% chance that Tesla would solve full autonomy within six to months to a year. Like I was like, damn, like they might actually do it like rapid accelerated improvements. Now I'd say there's like a 5% chance they do it in a year to six months. And like my, my sort of probability weighted date of when the robo taxis will occur went from mid, you know, late 2022 to like late 2023. You know, I think there's been a little bit of a recalibration of expectations. Um, just not because of like, Tesla's technology roadmap not going the way they want, but because I just think this problem is really hard. And I just think like the ability for humans when we don't know what to do to do something safe that is totally counterintuitive for the GPS to do is like the biggest hurdle. I don't know if that makes sense, but like the Tesla, I wish it would just like give up. Like, you know, in the monorail test, instead of like kind of giving up and just going straight, which is what I would have done, or just going really slow down. I mean, like, yo, Galley, take over. I can't do it. Like, I wish that was a feature. Um, it just took like a right up a one way or tried to. And so it's like, you know, but it, it must have known that that wasn't the right move. So I, and it, but it's just weird. It's like, the GPS is going to put these autonomous cars in these weird situations. So um, I don't know. I'm ju I, I just feel like this is such a hard problem to tackle. Um, this has made me even more convinced that nobody is even close. Like I've said this for years that I think nobody is solving the self-driving challenge except Tesla. There's like, who's winning this race? Like there's no race. It's just literally Tesla is the only company who has a remotely viable strategy to solve this. And although they say it's inevitable and they're going to be able to pull it off and solve self-driving, like I even think deep down in my core, there's like a 70% chance they solve it. There's a 30% chance they just can't figure it out by the end of the decade. Like I genuinely think there's a 30% chance they can't figure it out by the end of the decade. Like, I don't know. Cause I just think it's hard and like, maybe not 30, but like, and I think there's an 80% chance that, that everyone out that nobody else figures it out. Like excluding Tesla, actually maybe 90% that anybody figures it out before 2030. Like, I don't think this is an easy problem. So um, long story short, like FSD V9 got better, but I'm still recalibrating my expectations and ready to be proven wrong. Like when you're in, a, in my investing brain, I love to be cautious. And this is why I've been beefing with people who talk to me about the ARC model. Like, Gally, look at what ARC says about this being worth $8 trillion. And I'm like, all right, that's cool. But like, let's get the Tesla network off the ground and let me get an autonomous ride once and pay Tesla for it before we get excited. This is going to make trillions. Like, let's make 10 bucks before we make a trillion dog. Like, so that's why I think it's, it's, when you're going to be an investor, valuing and discounting the cash flow of something this ambitious as a robo taxi initiative and putting that trillions in your price target, like I don't know, I don't fuck with that honestly. Like, okay, I'm dropping. I, I gotta, I gotta tone down the swear words. I'm sorry, but I'm just trying to be unfiltered. Like, I'm just having fun, right? So, I would say, and I love Arc honestly. I think they're so awesome, and I think they're like so forward thinking and and and, and like <clears throat> thought leaders and amazing. But I, I want to like instill my own philosophy, which is different. You know, we can have different vibes, and my own philosophy is like super conservative. Like I'm so aggressive with my schemes and my vision and the potentials of the company I invest in, but super conservative when it comes to the mathematical models of how we, you know, calculate those technological breakthroughs into revenue and financials and the valuation, because you gotta be, because everything takes twice as long, costs twice as much if you're doing startups. And I would say if you're doing something like AI, ambitious commercializing technology, it's going to be 10 times as long and 10 times as much cost. So I value Tesla based on this purely electric vehicle thesis and you know, uh, changing the grid. I think those are still the near-term focuses of the financial excitement. Um, I'm, I'm putting very little weight on the financial success of the RoboTaxi in my valuation of Tesla. But that being said, like I'm holding on to all my stock. I think they're going to change the world. And I still think this is a lotto ticket that 
takes the CAGR from 25% or 20% in the next decade to, you know, 50% or 30%. Uh, or 40%, you know, uh, equity price CAGR in the next decade if they solve that. So looking ahead, it's all about the rate of improvement. And, you know, Andre Karpathy, you know, companies are just people. This guy is incredible. Um, you know, I, I think the what he's, he's like, it's insane how Tesla and Elon Musk, like it's like a company, but it's also like a company that's using like the smartest sort of academics in the world to push forward these bold, ambitious science, you know, initiatives. Like Neuralink, when you, when, Neuralink is going to change the world because of its technology and, you know, improve our lives just as much as it will push science forward and push our understanding of the brain forward. And I think there's so much, <clears throat> there's so many like crazy parallels to what Tesla is doing um, with self-driving in that way. And then just how we're going to learn about what driving is, about how the brain works, because I think this is such a real world example of not how the brain works from the inside, but how the brain works from the outside. And this thing called driving that we all take for granted that all humans do, it's going to be, it's just so fascinating to watch Tesla. Tesla try and do this AI version of that. And so now it's all about the rate of improvement. Now that they have pure vision and Elon and the team say that this is the roadmap to get to FSD, can we see this exponential improvements? This is what Elon keeps promising. And it sounds like the next cadence is about in a month, we'll get V10, in a month we'll get V, and then a month after that, V11, and it'll keep improving and keep steadily widening uh, the beta. And we're going to keep seeing this sort of incremental step forward progress. But the question is, how fast is it? How fast those interventions go down? How many marches of nines are we doing? What is the data that Tesla is going to start putting out to convince regulators that these are safer? Like, I have so many questions here. And I think it's so sort of up in the air at the rate of innovation of this technology. And I think the bottom line is it's because it's so new. And even Tesla doesn't know the pace of innovation of this technology. What's crazy is when they solve this, this is what blows my mind. Like, like I invest in technologies, right? Like, like technologies, and this is, I guess now I'm like kind of agreeing with ARC, but like invest in technologies, not financials. And so the technology that Tesla's building is the way that robots can perceive the world. You know, our eyes are so powerful because I, I'm looking at the camera, looking at my room, like I'm perceiving where I am in time and space and what's happening around me. And there's so much data and there, you know, this is influencing so much my brain. So robots, if we're going to have these Boston Dynamics robots walking around, if we're going to have Ex Machina, and I actually, you want to know some really weird twisted thing. What is, why do we need humanoid robots? What is the first use case of this? I almost feel bad saying this because I don't want this future, but I, when just my like investor in me says, this is what the robot future will be is where robots, um, personal security. I think personal security in an era where you have this like increasing wealth gap, you have these crypto gazillionaires, I think one of the reasons to adopt these humanoid ro armed robots would be personal security. You want to be secure and walk around and there's so many liabilities if you have a human bodyguard or security guard that I think people will want robotic ones and I think that'll be the first use case of has having ex machina robots walk around. And so whatever, that's fucked up, but and the reason the way those robots will perceive the world will be a vision-based system. They'll have eyes everywhere. Uh, in their head, little cameras. And this is the technology that Tesla's developing. And this is why the mind, okay, okay, this is another part I gotta talk about. The mind of car view. Like, this is so fascinating. This is the part, this is the part of FSD I nerd out about. Like, what I see on the screen. Because that's what the car's brain sees. And this is what Tesla's, how Tesla's communicating to me what my confidence and what the car sees because I can understand what it's seeing. So, you know, for me to be comfortable and trust, it's all about trust. For me to trust this car to drive itself, I have to trust that it knows what the hell it's doing and what the hell's happening around it. And so for that trust to be built, I need to see what its brain is thinking. And that is the visualization. So to me, the crux, and I, I can't believe I'm, I'm waiting until this, this to me was the dopest part of the whole update. 
and the, why I'm really hyped is the visualization progress. This new theory was super, I don't want to say ghetto, but it kind of was before. Like it was just like all these dots. It was wonky. Now it's smoother. Now there's a fuzziness. Now there's, it's showing confidence by the fuzziness of the system. And that is a really, really like this to me is really cutting edge shit about how do we signal to humans an AI systems level of confidence in a certain decision. And that's what Tesla's doing. And this is a really crazy test of it because this is real time. Like I'm looking, we're driving decisions are being made every split second on how to maneuver this vehicle. And I need to be constantly understanding there needs to be, you know, we need a Neuralink almost level data flow between me and the car. Anyway, so the visualization that Tesla's made is a huge improvement, a huge update, and I think is is just as a tech nerd, so fascinating because this is what the mind of the ex machina robots will see. This is the vision-based problem, and I think when you think about Tesla as an investment perspective, yes, as much as I discount this FSD and I'm not going to price it into my you know financial model right now because I'm conservative AF, I'm also using my moonshot brain to say this is technology they're developing that even if they solve this multi-trillion dollar robot taxi thesis, that's not even the end game. The end game is commercializing it and selling out to different robots or building your own humanoid robots based on this vision system. And so that is an even bigger market than self-driving cars potentially. So when you think about the technologies that you know self-driving cars, like going to Mars is a savage forcing function for innovation. Self-driving cars are a savage forcing function for innovation as well in the robotics and AI space. Tesla's going to be a robotics and AI company in the future. That's what Elon's scheming on. And this is a huge technology they're developing as a piece of that. Then you have Dojo, the supercomputer. And Andre Karpathy was just scheming on like, he just dropped in some new talk. Like we have the fifth dopest supercomputer in the world. Look at all these crazy stats, gigaflops. And I'm like, whoa, okay. I don't know anything about that. I'm not going to try to, but I know that Tesla... To, to process all of this data and to train its AI is developing technology as well. So it's not even once they finish the AI, it's going to have value, but their technology of training AI systems also has value. So I'm unlocking two savage multi-trillion dollar business models in this, in this FSD stack, um, which is Tesla Vision, aka Robot Vision. That's going to be huge. And then Dojo, which is Tesla AI training. So Tesla AI training, I mean, this to me is... The crux of every AI problem is how do you efficiently train it and auto-label it and automate that training process? Um, oh man, I'm, I'm like getting excited because I have a couple startup investments who I know could use this technology, right? So um, when you think about computation as the backbone of humanity's value creation in the future, like the digital side of our economy is everything. It's the metaverse. That's where everything's headed. How do you compute on the metaverse? The speed at which you process things on the metaverse is currency almost like what do you what is ethereum to me ethereum is one of the most valuable assets in the world right now and is booming in popularity what do you spend when you get it computing power what is ethereum backed by computing power on this decentralized network so to me that just shows the value of in our future digitized economy the ability to to compute like like amazon and aws is sort of this base layer of computing power but now to me tesla dojo is like the next thing after that um i don't know if i'm making sense but i read that once and so my point is, man, there is some, like, this is why Tesla to me is just so fascinating. Even though I said Tesla was boring in my last video as an investment because of like, it's not going to have a gazillion X upside, but it kind of might like just the way the excitement. And this is why Elon Musk matters. This is why the leadership matters because he is not stopping. This is not like you think their product pipeline is stacked with Cybertruck, Semi-Truck. There's an arc beyond that of, you know, all the EVs, the autonomous EVs, the energy products, the HVAC the home solar, the Tesla vision, the dojo AI, and these, these next arcs that will financially hit a decade from now, seeds are being planted today by Andre Karpathy and Pete Bannon and this FSD 
program. And, and so that is, that is another thing I'm, I'm keeping in mind when, when analyzing all of this and man. Okay. And the other thing I got to say about this is like, man, the, the ability for Tesla to push out these software updates and have this iterative feedback loop process, um, is just so magical. Like there's something about the car that my Tesla feels alive, unlike another car, like in this weird way. Um, and the way, way it gets the software updates is just crazy. So I don't know, that was kind of a side tangent, but I think Tesla's ability to seamlessly deploy software seems like a no-brainer, but it's actually a huge advantage that other car companies are not gonna be able to pull off. And so that's it. Tesla Vision is a game changer. Um, I cannot wait to see the updates. This is gonna be epic. My biggest, the high level takeaway here is buttery smooth, a lot smoother in certain situations, still needs work in other situations. Overall is a big improvement. The visualization I would say is a much bigger improvement than even the performance of the vehicle. And when you take into account they they backed out the radar, I think this is a win. This is a A plus, I wouldn't say A plus, I would say A minus release for FSD. The only reason you don't get A plus is because Elon hyped it up on Twitter. Manage expectations, dog. Like. You know, I, this was, I, this is the only, the only like real beef I've ever had with Tesla was when we were doing all the deliveries back in like 2017, 2018. And I'm like, damn, Elon, like, why do we got to put that 5,000 a week target out there and then miss it? And then Wall Street and these journalists, aka advertising salesmen are going to grill us for this. And it's like, bro, like we gave them something to grill us for. Like, let's not give, like manage expectations, I think is super important. So, but I also love Elon that he's just himself and he's honest and he just is like a nerd about this. And he's like, I'm so hyped because this is a huge improvement. I'm about to tell everybody. And maybe he was low key. I think he might've been testing it in LA where FSD beta version nine shines versus like these quirky weird Seattle roads that have no markings. That's another weird theory I have. But I think... Going forward, managing expectations a little more maybe wouldn't hurt, but maybe that's just, I'm just making this up. It's all in my head. So that is what it is. And um, I don't know. I guess I would see to all the people is like, I think you just got to try this FSD technology. Like it's so, I can't reiterate enough how frustrating it is to see in the media coverage. It's like, just try it. Every person I've given a ride to, every person I show this technology to, it blows their mind. Like it's, there's not many things that you show people and they like lose their shit and they're like, oh my God, you know, it's like, and it doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter, you know, anything about you. You're going to be like, oh my God, this is the future. Like this is insane. And so, um, it's just a, it's just an amazing part of history to be a part of. And I love it. So anyway, that's Tesla FSD loving it. I hope y'all got the update. Let me know what you think in the comments below. Like what kind of videos should I make on FSD? Like, what do you want to know about it? Like, like let everything I want to, I want to, yeah. So now I'm gonna get to Patreon questions and I will say that I'm going to probably raise the price on Patreon because I've got too many Patreon questions and I've switched the newsletter cadence to once a week to twice a week. And that was a big thought I had because I wanna do the hyper scheme. Like I, lo like I love writing, you know, I wrote my book. I have another book in the works. I honestly, I got so many projects going on that I'm like, kind of like exploding, like I have too much, my capacity has been hit. But, um, and that's another reason why I've been like thinking through the hyper scheme. I was like, yo, like I wanna like scheme with y'all on video content. Like that's why you support me on Patreon. Cause you like my content. Like the newsletter is dope, but that's just a side hustle. And I feel like I was forcing the newsletter every week. And to me, it comes naturally once every two weeks, I can go a little deeper. I have stuff I thought about and I wanna switch it up where the newsletter is every two weeks, but now I got this new present for y'all every week, which is the hyper scheme on Sunday, which is what you're watching now. And patreons will be able to contribute and ask me questions um that i'll answer which i'm about to do right now and i just feel like that's so fun um okay so david dales this guy's killing it i mean he asked me so many questions here 
Okay. Have you thought about doing research into the hyper change into the CRISPR space? So gene editing, this is a question I get a lot about people. Um, you know, gene editing has the potential to change everything. Like, okay, we understand um, nothing about like, like we're just basically code, right? ATCG, all this genetic letters makes up our DNA, which is like the code in our body that programs everything. But we didn't understand this DNA. And so now there's this crazy revolution of where we're going to understand the code in our own bodies. And we're going to look at diseases totally differently. Like the way we fight cancer right now is like, okay, you have cancer. We're going to blast you with chemo. And like, you know, it's the super barbaric technology to basically kill everything and then like kill the cancer, but like not quite kill you. And then you'll come back to life, but the cancer will be dead. But then it always comes back. Like it's a really brutal, you know, sort of barbaric system. And it's because we're lumping different cancers together by type because we can't understand their genetic profile. And so I think the ability to understand our own genome is going to unlock this new era. And this, my mom, you know, shout out to her. She does um, next generation sort of cancer treatment. And so that's why I kind of know about this. But her whole thing is like, let's take your tumor. Let's test it. Let's figure out the DNA of your tumor, figure out which genetic markers are going on here and treat it based on the genetic profile of that cancer, not just lump it into this group and blast it with chemo. So that's a microcosm for this entire revolution of understanding the human genome, which will change how we treat all diseases and has huge potential. And I was actually just talking to this guy from Beam Therapeutics. So shout out to him, this huge company that Arc's an investor in. Of course, they're claiming they got a way that's doper than everybody else to do gene editing. I don't fucking know. That's kind of the crux of this answer is I stick, I stay in my lane. Like, I think that's why my returns are savage because I'm so like just stubborn and disciplined. If I don't know what's happening, I'm not going to touch it. And even though my parents are scientists and they do this stuff, I still will stay away from a 10 foot pole from gene editing because I'm not going to pretend like I'm an expert in this and I'm going to be able to figure out which CRISPR technology is better. Like, I just don't know. I haven't been to medical school. And so while I see huge potential in the CRISPR space, in the gene editing space, it will cause massive advances for humanity and treat so many diseases and help us in so many ways. I love that. And I think that's really inspiring and beautiful and just it's hyper changing a lot. And it's going to, it's, it's, ah, oh man, it's like giving me FOMO to not cover this space more, but A, I'm not bandwidth, but my specialty is consumer. Like I have to stay in my lane and do the stuff that I'm a customer of. Right now, I'm not a customer of any genetic company. So I'd be breaking like eight of my investment rules if I did that. And a lot of these companies like Beam Therapeutics, like it's dope, this amazing technology, but it's like they required so much capital to get there. The VCs own the company. You don't have a savage owner, operator, founder who controls the bulk of the company is controlling the vision. I feel like these suits are controlling the vision. I don't like that. So, but that's just kind of the way biotech is. So I don't, I'm not comfortable with biotech enough to make content about it. I only want to talk about stuff that I'm really confident and invest in stuff that I'm confident about. So yeah. Okay. Why do you think Impossible Foods has become so popular, but not actual lab-grown meat? Cost. Lab-grown meat is super dope on paper, except getting you a burger for under a hundred bucks that is actually grown in the lab, like cell by cell is very difficult. And I think there's a big fallacy that, you know, the cow is actually an incredibly, as much as it's inefficient and we hate on it, the cow has actually been evolved for thousands of years to be this incredibly efficient way to turn plant protein into meat protein. And so it's going to be a long road for humans to replicate that just as efficiently, just tasting as well with a cheaper cost. And so that's, I just think lab grown meat is super dope, but I, I really want to see a life cycle analysis of the emissions of that lab grown meat and the cost get there. It's just not there. Like I think Memphis meats is one of the leaders. I don't know. I'm, I'm out to Google this. Okay. I think they changed their name to upside foods. It looks like, and the fried ch and they're doing fried chicken. Now the customer, it will, the culture chicken will be available to consumers this year, pending regulatory approval. So 
Memphis Meats is always on the cusp of commercializing it, but not yet. But this is a, a thing I think a lot about. The, the food system needs to be hyper-changed. We have a huge opportunity to disrupt this space and to make – it's just a huge thing that's crushing the planet. And this is something I think so much about. Um, I I spent like my, my last real job that I had – or my only real job really ever like um, – working for this startup and visiting all these farms and like meeting with farmers and seeing how, you know, factory farming cows are up to here on their own shit. And, and they're just living these horrible lives in these cages like grouped up and it smells horrible and they're in mud. And it's just, ugh. it's like, you don't want to eat that, but that's what a McDonald's burger is versus some farms, which are beautiful, which have this roaming pasture and a rotational grazing system where they have the crops and the, the manures fertilizing it. And it's a beautiful harmony. It's actually, you know, not that carbon intensive, but it's like, wait, that's a lot more land intensive. And so the bottom line is we, we, are, we are at this really um, interesting inflection point in the food system where there's no – people are not pricing in negative externalities. There's so many climate change externalities to your McDonald's hamburger that are not priced in, and that's why it costs like three bucks. And that's why they're not changing it. Like the game is is messed up, and the incentive system is messed up, and we're passing off. To me, it's like humanity is just swiping its credit card on climate change. And it's just like, yep, every time we get a burger and we're leaving $10 of like negative externalities in that burger price that we're not paying for, we're like putting it on credit at a super high interest rate. And – this is just, you know, you throw your Starbucks cup away. Who gives a fuck? Where is it going? What's happening to it? We're just piling up Starbucks cups somewhere. Like, I hate the uh, the the beverage industry, this system that we have. Like, I, whatever, White Claw. Like, look at this. Like, you're going to throw away your White Claw? Like, I like wh where does this go once we use it? Like, you know, like, I, I just think the entire – so anyway, I'm going to totally sidetrack. But the food system needs to change. And – it's it's messed up, but it's like honestly, I think the future of beef and like beef and, and animal protein and this thing will be a thing, will be a part of the food system, but it'll go from ninety percent to like one percent. It'll be super artisanal. There'll be huge taxes on it. You'll have to pay eight hundred dollars a burger, but it'll be super dope, and people will, and that'll be that industry. Every what is everyone else gonna eat? I don't know, but that's 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 what the planet needs. And so, are we gonna have like bioreactors of kind of soylent esque products that we're all eating? Um, maybe are we going to be able to have vertical farming grow us a lot more vegetables and people eat vegetables a bigger part of their diet? Maybe that'll make, it, make us healthy, healthier. I think that's another big opportunity. And I just think, I don't know. So I'm a reducitarian, right? And I went to this thing called the reducitarian conference like three years ago. I think I made a video about it. It was so dope. And it was like this concept that we could all come together under this umbrella of reducing the carbon impact of our, reducing the impact on the planet of our food you know, choices, whether that's, I'm an omnivore. I love cheeseburgers. Like I'm going to be real. Like I eat cheeseburgers sometimes, but like this, the reducitarians play a place where I can get together with a vegan. And it's like, you got your way and I got my way, but we can both come together under this idea of trying to figure it out and not judging each other. Instead of being like, you're on that vegan side, I'm on the vegetarian side. And I'm on the kind of eat a cheeseburger side. And like, let's all beef about it. It's like, not, you know, let's impossible beef about it or not. I don't even know, but let's just be friends. And come together amongst this mission. So I think, you know, and me personally, it's like, I don't want fake chicken. Like this whole concept that I want, and I was eating the impossible sausage at the uh, Starbucks, impossible uh, sausage, egg and cheese or whatever, which is pretty fire. It was a really good sandwich. And, uh, but after like five days in a row of eating it, I kind of felt weird after eating. It. I felt like clogged up and it was like, eh, like this pro, this weird protein camp, like it's just really processed. And I also believe that, 
Impossible Foods, I might get this, might get me in some hot, hot water, uses um, GMOs, which I, I, I think GMOs are dope. Like they're a part of science and there's actually, like I think it's fine to eat GMOs, but the problem with GMOs is that GMOs are code right now, basically code for Monsanto. And the problem with that is Monsanto uses this system of monocrop farming and like extreme pesticides that you have to spray on everywhere that ruins everybody else's farms. And then we just have like corn growing everywhere and like soy growing everywhere. There's no genetic diversity. And so it's not that GMOs themselves are bad. It's just that just the companies that have GMOs are just pillaging the soil of all its nutrients, are ruining all our biodiversity, are spraying all these pesticides that have huge negative externalities. And that's a really messed up system. And yet those are the inputs that are going into your impossible thing. I need to look into that more, but just that's another thing to keep in mind. So whether it's a part of the impossible foods thing or not is, I don't know. So I think the food system is right for change. And this is actually like the more and more I think about this, this is like, I want to start a company in the food space. That's like the company I would start if I wasn't doing content or like, you know, my other, like if, if I was going to be a savage founder and build a product, it would be a, you know, be a farming company that builds new food. And I, I don't know this idea I wrestle with I'm constantly Lawrence, when are the first hundred trucks deliver? Then how long do a hundred thousand? Um, I love this question about the Tesla semi truck. So this is a really good question and I don't know how to answer it. I know Tesla keeps saying they're about to drop the semi truck, but then they keep not. I think it's going to start at the very end of this year, early next year, and then they're going to ramp up very slowly. And it all comes down to the 4680. This is why I've been nerding out about Tesla's 4680 battery. Is it in the plaid? Um, when are they going to actually deliver the first car with the 4680? That's the biggest sort of next catalyst of that part of the company and that vertical integration. And why do I always say that? Because it's like the semi trucks relying on that product, the cyber trucks relying on that product. So it's very hard to know how fast they will scale the, the semi truck until we get more clarity on it's basically all the batteries. How, when is the 4680 work? And then when can they build enough of them to do cyber trucks and semi trucks and model Y? I just don't know. And if I was on, you know, that's yeah. So trying to figure that out is going to be the best way to get clues on the truck. How do you think Elon will keep his promise of allowing Tesla long-term investors to be the first in line to invest in Starlink? This is Nicholas. Amazing question. A, I think Elon doesn't know. He just wants to. Love that. Here, there's a, first of all, I have a couple off-the-record ideas of how he could do it if he hits me up. Elon, you can hit me up. We can figure it out. But it's it's just it's going to be messy. I mean, there's no way easy way to do it. I actually think, and I believe there's a... Okay, so what, what can I say here? What can I not say? I'm pretty sure there's a conflict of interest where... Tesla and SpaceX can't work together in a big way. And Elon knows that and his lawyers are telling him that. And that's why I was telling him Tesla should buy Starlink. I'm like, dog, like Tesla's co cost of capital is zero. Like, why don't we give Starlink 5 billion? That way Tesla owns Starlink. That's the way that Tesla investors, everyone automatically based on how much Tesla you own, gets that exact amount of exposure of Starlink. And Starlink gets the funding without diluting it and selling it to some morons. So to me, the biggest win-win is Tesla, which has this incredibly low cost of capital and is doing has so much money, they're freaking buying Bitcoin. Like, let's give a bill to Starlink. And so um, Tesla's cash flow could single-handedly fund Starlink. Why is that not happening? I think there's some legal conflict of interest. So that is the way I would structure the deal, but I guess we can't do it like that. So what are you going to do? Are you going to go? Companies don't even know who their shareholders are. This is how messed up the system is. Um, because it's all based on paper stock certificates. Your broker's not going to tell Tesla who even owns, you know. So I think this is a very hard problem. And it shows how messed up the stock market and financial system is that there isn't an easy way to do this. So I am going to be fascinated to see how Elon 
um, tries to integrate Tesla retail investors into Starlink, but he said this is something he wants to do. So I don't know. I think this is going to happen. Hey, Gally, uh, Luke asking, since you held Square stock in the past, would you reconsider buying back? Yes. I almost reconsidered buying back Square stock like today. Oh my God. What Jack Dorsey is doing to, to move Bitcoin forward, to build an ecosystem around Bitcoin, to do what he's doing with Cash App, like, oh my God, like Peloton, Spotify, Square, Airbnb. Like I love these companies, but I like to have no money. So I own Airbnb. I don't own the other ones, even though I have. I love those companies. Like I can't like stress this enough that like, there's, I'm so picky. I love like 0.001% of companies in the whole world. And it's just like, I don't have enough money to invest in them all. But I think Square and Jack Dorsey is like, it's owner, operator, founder. It's changing the banking system. It's investing in the future you believe in, democratizing finance. It's tackling a multi-trillion dollar industry with a $90 billion market cap. The CEO, you know, Jack Dorsey's young. He gets it. This Bitcoin thing, they're the fulcrum security that I think could increase adoption of Bitcoin and build the whole ecosystem around it. So I think Square Ooh, man, I get excited when I think about Square and I the FOMO is off the charts that I do not own Square stock. And I feel like Jack Dorsey is going to be beefing with me because I don't own Square stock. So I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. And he, OK, Luke, with a bunch of good questions here about um, do you agree that potential adoption of the Lightning Network and tighter integration between Square's main ecosystem, seller and cash app could lead the business to much higher margins, less feed pays to third party and much better control? Yes. I mean, Square, every time you swipe your credit card, you're paying 3% to all these BS banks who are not doing anything. If we can get a system to where Square can charge less but have a higher margin, I think that's where we're headed. The incentives are there. Um, yes. Sunny asks, how is the hypership treating you? I want to do a whole video about that after my one-year anniversary of my Tesla because it's the best purchase I've ever made, like by far. And I just can't say how much I love my Tesla enough. Honestly, like it's so, I can't like... I know it sounds lame and you, if you're watching Hyperchange, you're probably like, oh, I already have got a Tesla. I already know what's good with it. But like, dude, like some of my friends I know that are my age are not buying Teslas. They're buying like BMWs and like Porsches. And I'm like, oh, like, oh, this is such a bad financial move because it's going to depreciate. You're literally supporting the oil industry complex who's, you know, leveraging shitty labor to burn more fossil fuels to ship giant dinosaur juice halfway across the world so we can put it in our cars and then we're just going to breathe in these emissions and then it's going to pollute our cities and it's like everybody has asthma and it's like, dude, like, oh my God, like it's one thing if, if a boomer doesn't buy a Tesla, but when people my age don't buy a Tesla, that then I'm like, I'm losing hope. Like if it, I'm losing hope. I'm like, damn, like, yeah y'all don't get it like okay so whatever I, I i just and it's like but even whatever the moral side the moral part aside it's just a way better product the moral part aside the depreciation okay it's a better investment because it's gonna depreciate less and it's what is right to do with the planet and set a good example to for you know the best thing you can do for climate change is to buy a tesla people are gonna be so much hate for that but i'm gonna I will, i'm i'm ready to die on that hill because that is just the facts and i think People have so limited understanding of how the world works, how shit gets done, how we're just monkeys on a rock, having causing fucking this rock up in so many different ways, causing all these problems. How do we actually get the technology to solve this? Like we're in the era of hyper change. If we don't move fast and do radical changes for how our society works, we're all gonna die and we're gonna drive our planet into just this raging inferno. This is a huge real problem. Tesla's actually has single-handedly, one dude, Elon Musk, by creating one company has accelerated the adoption 
adoption of electric vehicles has manifested the fact that every other car company who said electric vehicles will never work, they're a fucking joke, it's not going to happen, every journalist didn't see this shit coming, and Elon did, and changed the world, and changed the trajectory of our emissions as monkeys on this rock. That is huge. That is going to be everything. And every time you buy a Tesla, what are they doing with that technology? Putting it into better batteries, coming up with the 4680 battery cell, coming up with a new way to mine lithium that is less carbon intensive, coming up with a way to create cars that drive safer than humans, coming up with a way to create trucks, semi trucks to get these crappy fossil fuel trucks off the road. Like every Tesla has... It, it, it really is the biggest impact you can do for climate change is to support a company that is commercializing the technologies that we need to hyper change a certain industry. Tesla's doing that more than anyone else. And so, man, I don't even know how I got on this rant. Anyway, sup, Galley, Adrian, do you love my hyper change dad hat? Do you have any plans to make more awesome merch? Yes. And you know me, like I'm picky about my merch. Like I'm not going to launch merch if I don't think it's artisanal and I don't think it's dope. And I don't want to launch another shitty product because A, what am I just talking about? Carbon emissions. Like, I want to launch a product that you're going to hold on to, that you're going to cherish, that you're going to use forever. And so I'm actually, my next t-shirt product is going to be like the special fabric that is less carbon intensive, that's super soft, and I'm designing it myself, and I think it's going to be super swag. And um, yeah, so I do have like a limited edition t-shirt drop in the works, and it's like of a special material. I don't want to say too much, but I'm hyped on it. So I'm scheming on that, but it's like, bro, like I, I'm on the board of directors of Arcomoto. I got to do all this stuff, you know, HyperGuap, running a multi-million VC company. I'm trying to make content. I'm trying to make Tesla FSD videos. Like, you know, I'm trying to do my own hobbies in life. And it's like, man, designing merch, like, ah, oh, I just want to so bad, but it's like, I've so, it's in terms of like the things that I'm doing that are important. Like, it's just kind of far down the list, but like, man, like my creative, like inner creative me, like has so many merch ideas, like so many, ah, like, okay, but I'll get to them eventually. So I definitely scheming on more merch. That's the short answer. Um, who do you think will end up being the biggest competition for SpaceX long-term? Probably Blue Origin, I would say, is the second closest, but not really anyone. Like, the biggest problem of competition of SpaceX is, like, governments beefing and Russia being like, and China being like, uh, like China. That's who I would say is the biggest competition. Um, and there's a space race going on, so that's really interesting. Oh, the moon wobble. Don't get me started on the moon wobble. This seems bad. Anyway, all right. That wraps up the hyper scheme. This was super fun. Um, I hope y'all enjoyed it. Let me know what you think in the comments below about just everything, Tesla FSD, all that stuff. Um, next week, I'll put another post on Patreon where y'all can submit more questions. If I didn't get to it, I'm sorry. Resubmit your question. I'll try and get to all of them. Um, this is super fun. Have an epic Sunday. Thank you so much for tuning in. And yeah, like show Tesla some love. FSD is filchy. That's my last words. See y'all next time.